What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Mortcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. If you like wine, like me, and uh, the last podcast that I did on here, where I spoke to two friends about the band U2 for two and a half hours, I hope you've all uh, invested some time in listening to that podcast. Um, we, uh, I was drinking uh, some of the 2017 Cabernet, and I drank the whole bottle. I, that is how much I enjoyed the conversation and I enjoyed the wine. So uh, that, uh, that is good advertisement for that uh, particular uh, variation on wine. But there's a lot more out there. They got Pinot. They got uh, uh, Rieslings with a partnership from a uh, Western Slope winery called Storm Cellars. Uh, they, they've got it all. Uh, one of my favorite places to go in Denver. One of some of the best wine in Denver. Um, they've got virtual wine tastings that you can sign up for, and they've got socially distanced uh, tables outside in the dairy block and inside. Once again, Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazine, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. You can get, find them at bfwdenver.com and on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. I'd like to also tell you about my friend Andy Feinstein at uh, Exo Event Center. Uh, please support our friends at Exo Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant art, Rhino Art District. Uh, Exo Event Center can host safe, socially distanced events for uh, 25 to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday or anniversary party, or just basically a morale boosting uh, happy hour. Let's face it, we all need something like that right now. EXO would be welcome the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit exoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. All right, uh, today uh, I wanted to get the angst podcast in. Um, I, I, my guest right here is someone who probably shares a much of my point of view, maybe not all of it, but much of my point of view about yesterday's debacle uh, against the Utah Jazz. The, at, at one point, the Nuggets were down by 40. Uh, it was uh, just a dreadful performance altogether, and uh, we need to really dissect this. So my friend, my friend, TJ McBride. Yes. Yes, Jeffrey. He's here with us to talk about this. <laughs> Hello, TJ. You are, oh, wait, I'm sorry. TJ's from uh, Lead Nuggets Rider from Mile High Sports. You cannot lose the moniker. You need to keep that lead beat rider next to my name, or I'm just not going to feel like I'm honored on your show. God, I can't even get this amount of like pompousness out. Like I feel trash even saying it. So let's move on to angsty nuggets discussions because we have lots of those to have. Yes, we do. And uh, you wrote an article, and I want to get to your article first. Okay. Uh, you wrote an article entitled "Until the Nuggets Rediscover Their Passion, There Is Nothing More That Can." <laughs> they nothing are nothing more, more than, than the frauds, frauds that you're, and I'm reading it right in front of me, and I still slaughtered the title. So <laughs> I, I'm hungover and drinking coffee at 11 a.m. with you right now, okay. so we're all on the struggle bus. Yeah, together. so we, we got the we got the coffee together. Uh, so uh, kind of go th with me through the premise of your article and what you were saying. Uh, I encourage people to go to the site to read it, but to, uh, basically, go over what you were talking about in that article about the game yesterday. 
So funny enough, I actually wrote the lead before the game had started because I was under the impression that the Nuggets were going to be the resilient bunch that they have been for three years and would show up in the face of adversity. So I actually wrote that lead with the intention of writing about a win. And then the debacle, as you phrased it, starts to happen. And you start realizing, as Michael Malone said, that the Nuggets were done in the first half, maybe even the first quarter. And that was when I took that exactly, and I was like, you know what? This fits, because the lackadaisical nature, the way that they approached their post-game press conferences after game two, and the this aura of at ease, and this weird non-emotional stimulus to getting stomped on by a divisional opponent in game two, at first glance seemed like, okay, they're not getting too high or too low. And then it appeared abruptly that they just didn't care. And that is the one thing I couldn't get past. I've never said this about the Nuggets. In all five and a half years of covering this team, not once have I been around when this team gave up. And they they folded. And that was literally the most startling thing. And to be honest with you, from halfway through the third quarter on, I didn't even finish the game. I wasn't watching. I was just writing because nothing had mattered at that point. Statistical outlook at that point does not matter. Matchups at that Mm -hmm. point does not matter. It doesn't matter what schematic shifts you want to make the Nuggets didn't care and that started with Nikola Jokic which was probably just more gasoline on the fire of just the angst that so many Nuggets fans feel and what's even crazier I'm not a Nuggets fan I grew up a Lakers fan in Los Angeles the hard part for me was watching a team as strong and united as we expected this Nuggets team to be to just not care in the playoffs I can't remember a moment in sports period across so many different levels of sports to where a team in a 1-1 series against a divisional opponent they know well not on the road would just fold like that like it was truly disgraceful is the way that I saw it and that's why that's the way I wrote the story you know I agreed with uh, much of your take on that article and I and I think that um, what I took away was something that I mostly agree with. I think there's, uh, I distribute blame a little more uh, uh, evenly. <laughs> You're an altruistic blame yeah, giver. <laughs> I, yes, I, I, but I think there is a, um, a very true sentiment about there is a problem with Nikola Jokic and his I don't give a fuck kind of thing because yeah. it does translate to this team. Uh, and I pointed this out on Twitter and I'm glad you kind of wrote about it in your article because it's, it's hard to go and be fans of a team that go out and put forth two, not just one, two of the worst efforts in the playoffs. I mean, Utah's playing well, let's not take any way, anything away from them. But as I pointed out to Matt Moore on Twitter yesterday, it takes a certain amount of ineptitude to be that behind 40 points. There takes a certain special amount of that to really go and be down by that much. And that was all on the Nuggets. Ineptitude means that, in my opinion, of like the way that you phrase this, it means that they don't have the ability. They don't have the intelligence to do it. I don't think that's the case. This is negligence. This is just choosing to look the other way. This is one, two, three, six weeks embodied in the playoffs. Like, that's what can't happen. That's the part that rattled me the most and was so startling was they ha- they're not inept. They have the skill. They have the chemistry. They have the matchups. They have the roster um, continuity for so long to actually make this work there is no reason for them to fold like this so for me like i don't think you're wrong but ineptitude it gives them too much respect in terms of how this went they chose to let this happen the way it happened that is negligence that is them choosing to let it slip through their fingers it's not their inability to be able to handle it you know it's interesting uh, in 1985 in the western conference finals and this is the only other analogy that i can have here 
because the Nuggets were blown out three three times in that series. Uh, and one of them was a 44-point loss in game five. The difference between then and now is that it was clear that the Lakers were the better team. Uh, yeah. It was very clear at that moment in time. That was peak Showtime Lakers. You weren't going to beat them. Uh, the Nuggets probably could have, uh, if Alex English doesn't get hurt, probably could have taken it six games. But honestly, uh, the, it was clear that uh, the Lakers were the better team. Uh, unlike now, where I, th- I still think the Nuggets are the better, better team than Utah. I do too. And uh, you can't use not having Gary Harris, who has missed a good portion of this year anyway. And was one of the worst starters <laughs> in all of basketball yeah. this season. Like, let's take a step back on the whole yeah. Gary Harris saves everything topic. Yeah. And, uh, and Will, who I, I think they miss in the locker room, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I can, we can get into that. It's one thing to say that. But it's another thing to look at this team and think, okay, yeah, they, these are obvi- they are obviously more better and more talented than the Utah Jazz. But there's a lot of things there that are being uh, ex- exposed right now. And the Nuggets' lackadaisical attitude is chief among them. And that goes yeah. directly to Nikola Jokic. I couldn't agree more. And it's like one of the, one of the uh, line sentences, whatever you want to call it, that I had in the story was that this is a Nuggets team full of bad habits and no passion. And that's what this came down to. All season long, you were there with me the entire way. How often did the Nuggets not take a game seriously and they conveyed this sense of, we're okay. It's not the playoffs. We know what our goal is this season. We just need to get there and yeah. we'll be fine. They're here and they're not fine. Yeah. And I think that is what this comes down to is that this Nuggets team, not just now, not just in game two, not just in the seeding games, not just in the scrimmage games, they have been lackadaisical in their approach oh, yeah. for longer i would say years if it wasn't for their playoff experience last year what would we be talking about like because they weren't playing well before the playoffs either last season so you had that one gap where the nuggets played fantastic basketball and it was really just Nikola Jokic is going to turn into oscar robertson on the court playing center so like that shifted the way the narrative appeared and it allowed us to have this discussion that okay Nikola Jokic is a top five player we can rely on him to be a a playoff uh, you know producer there's no concern about Nikola that was just abundantly wrong and I don't think anybody expected that Nikola has always shown up for big games so I'm at the point now and I don't know if you feel the same way or not but I don't know this Nuggets team anymore like I've been saying this throughout most of the season where like I'm getting I'm having a really hard time to get a read on them I don't know what motivates them and you know so on and so forth now it's all out the window I have never seen them fold like this before yeah I'll, I'll, I'll here's my here's my real overall arcing feeling on this team this year uh, Nikola Jokic came into the year fat and out of shape. Yeah. And uh, not only fat and out of sh- shape, severely fat and out of shape. Mm-hmm. Everyone had noticed it. I mean, we all defended Nikola Jokic, and I think the sh- fat shaming that was going on in the league was bad. But I think that uh, there was a gigantic element of truth of it. He was, he was extremely lethargic. The Nuggets were playing stuck in mud. And uh, they were winning games, and, and it was you weren't really sure how. They, their effort was really weird uh, yeah. right at the beginning of the year. Well, Jokic starts working out after, after every game, and that really happened. That happened early. That had started happening in November. Yeah. And he loses all this weight. The Nuggets go through another uh, renaissance, so to speak. What was troubling to me was shortly before the All-Star break and after it, the Nuggets were not good. 
They were not a good team. They were not playing well. They were playing with very little effort. They lost to uh, the Golden State Warriors at home. Uh, yeah. It was it was like why why is this happening? A lot of it was Nikola Jokic was just <laughs> shrugging his shoulders. He was just there. Yeah. And I think this team, as much as Jamal Murray would like it to be him taking the team on his shoulders, he does not have the talent, requisite talent to do that. This is Nikola Jokic's team. This team is designed around Nikola Jokic. Everything about this team is through Nikola Jokic. If he is, has a, and I think I would describe game three as a shrug your shoulders, Nikola Jokic game. Yeah. Uh, if he has that, the team just collapses. It just all goes from it. The team just collapses from the top down. And I saw that yesterday, and it, it infuriated me. Uh, we have Nikola Jokic, very passionate Nikola Jokic defenders. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Um, I think there has been a level of let's rally around Nikola after the whole fat shaming thing. at the beginning You can call of the year. it babying. It's okay. Babying. And I think I, that's where I started to go, okay, let's stop, guys. And now I think a lot of people saw that he was kind of shrug your shoulders Jokic in this game. And it, they saw in a playoff atmosphere how that affects the team. Yeah, and I have nothing else to argue against that. Like, I, that is 100% factual. The part that interests me is it's what makes Nikola Jokic connected and what makes him disconnected. Because I can't quantify what any of that is anymore. For so long, it was, okay, big games. That's when Nikola Jokic feels like he can be Nikola Jokic. Okay, put him around a very athletic, sweet shooting lineup. That'll make Nikola Jokic feel good on defense. Let him play up the court. He'll feel more connected. None of that has happened. None of it. No matter what Denver has done, and this is why, and I know we're going to get to this. It might be a little premature. This is why I'm not blaming Malone as the primary issue with this right now. Nicola is just not fucking doing it. And if he's not doing it, and if we think that Malone isn't addressing this, that's not true. Malone is absolutely addressing this. What are you supposed to do? Like, Nikola Jokic doesn't care about what people are telling him to do. Nikola Jokic has always wanted to do things his way, and up until now, it's worked. Now we're at this juncture where Denver is trying to get that last 5% to becoming a true title contender, and Nikola Jokic has become the hurdle. And I think that is the most, like, terrifying thought here is the best player on your team is now also the reason that you might not be able to clear that next hurdle. So now my mind shifts. How do you, how do you get him to buy in? What is it going to take? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think you do either. I don't. Uh, and uh, the biggest worrying thing here is Malone doesn't. And, and to be fair, there, I don't think anybody does. And there is where I think the Nuggets may be at the crossroads. I agree with that as well. I, I honestly think this was a crossroads moment for the Nuggets because you're depending on someone who is notorious has goes through notorious malaises. I, and, and to use a, a phrase from Jimmy Carter, the great national malaise. Well, it's, yeah. it's basically uh, the great national malaise of uh, Nikola Jokic because he goes through these blase periods that no one, they are inexplicable and no one can understand them. Uh, the first eight, Eight plays the Nuggets drew up in the game yesterday were all for Jamal, and yeah. it was it was it was. I I I, I don't want to try to get into why they were doing that, but I did notice an effect on things, and it and it really the Nuggets lost this game from the beginning. Yep, it wasn't midway through the first quarter; it was from the beginning of the game. 
the way they were running these sets were ha like they weren't even convinced they should be running them. Um, Paul Millsap is unplayable at this point. And we can, that, we, whew, we'll we, get there. We can get into that. Uh, we will, in fact, that will be the next uh, next topic we get into. Um, but from the beginning, it was an odd. The, the, the Nuggets shouldn't have been – what the, the eight plays for where Jamal Murray did was get the entire offense out of rhythm. And it just was like they were force-feeding him. And I hate that when – I mean, the only person who I, could, I, I trust to actually get do that is actually Jamal, uh, um, uh, Nicole Jokic. Michael, because, or uh, Michael Porter, because he just Porter. has the size. But it got Michael Porter Jr. completely out of rhythm. He didn't shoot. I Until think, the second quarter. He didn't the, shoot in the first quarter. Yeah. They had nothing designed for him. It was a strange, it was a strange thing from the outset. They, they did, it was a team that didn't know what they wanted to do. And other than that, like, we were going to have Jamal Murray get all these, these shots, and it didn't help him. It, none of that helped him. Uh, and I'm going to credit some of the Jazz defense for cutting off the Nuggets' passing angles. But the problem is the Nuggets play so freaking slow, they yeah. cannot overcome these uh, defensive adjustments. And this has been true since the beginning of the year. They, yep. are a, they play stuck in molasses. And when they play fast and loose – they are unstoppable. When they play slow and plotting, they get into binds that they can't get out of because their offense can't catch up, right? Now, their problem is defense, but their offense just, like, was completely out of rhythm. This team gets their confidence on offense, on, on, yeah. on defense from offense. It's just – this is the way this team works. And you just – when this team just is completely offensive and offensive, offensively inept there we go and uh and that filters down to their defense and then they'd stop trying yeah and the other thing that drove me crazy and this is obviously not helping my point that michael malone is not to blame for this but michael malone starting jeremy grant for michael porter jr not mace or not paul Millsap in the second half i don't i don't understand it because again like let's, let's come back to this exact offense versus defense point you're down 24 and you're like, you know what we need to do? Slow it down. We're going to find a way to contain the perimeter, get our best defenders out there, and keep the score at a 20-point deficit? Like, I don't understand the thought process to get there. Like, Michael Porter Jr. is one of your only options to create any kind of scoring momentum and offensive rhythm. And yeah. he's a guy who can get you moving quicker. He's a guy who can find easy buckets. And it just doesn't matter. And this comes back again to yeah. – the Michael Malone part of this. And again, I, I am going to, in this circumstance, in this game, give Michael, Michael Malone plenty of, of the benefit of the doubt. But when we look at a big picture part of this Nuggets team now, there has to be the question if the Nuggets lose the first round, if Michael Malone is the head coach to coach this team. And I don't think he deserves to be fired. I also don't think that he's necessarily not the guy, but this is a star-driven league. And if he is not able to be the guy who can get Jokic in the correct spots, what are you supposed to do? And that's just the really unfortunate part of being an NBA head coach. The Nuggets are down 2-1. I mean, it's not the end of the world, and the, the, the Jazz still have to win two more games. Um, and it's a neutral site. Anything can happen. I'm not, I am not necessarily concerned, quote-unquote, with that aspect of it. But you would have to be uh, completely blind not to see what happened. Uh, you would have to be, 
and, and we can't ignore that. I mean, there's going to be people who are listening to this podcast saying we're being negative. I see, I will find the positive in everything generally, and I cannot find a single positive thing to talk about after game three. No, there's none. And that's, that's the most problematic thing is that nobody looked right in this game. And again, you're right. And I actually wrote this very, very, very briefly in my story that the Nuggets still have the talent and chemistry to make this work. Like, this mm-hmm. is not like they're out of the series. They were down yeah. 2-1 against the Spurs last year. Yeah. So, like, this is not new territory. It's the way they got here. That is what is making this so negative. The Nuggets never folded in the playoffs. Jamal Murray had four points in three quarters, and they couldn't defend Eric White at all, and they still didn't give up. They were fighting for those series against the Spurs and against the Blazers. This was none of that. This yeah. looked like a game in the middle of January in Minnesota when it's negative two outside and everyone's ready to get back to Denver in their own beds. Yes. Like that, that cannot happen. That is unacceptable on every single level of basketball. You yes. cannot live that way. And that, again, that's the issue here. That, I, I don't care about anything else. It's, it, and I, I kind of want to talk about, and then, then we can actually go from there to talking with a very uncomfortable conversation i think at this point about paul Millsap. yeah not only has paul Millsap not looked good in the playoffs he didn't look good in the seeding games and he was not tremendous in the last couple games going into the break uh the big break from coronavirus sometimes i'm saying this as an old person (laughs) sometimes you get old suddenly Mm-hmm. I think actually most times. And for athletes, it's, it had, does happen suddenly. It happened to Allen Iverson. Uh, Allen Iverson actually had a really good 2007-2008 season, and then they came into uh, camp in 2008, uh, and he suddenly didn't have it anymore. Didn't he drop it's... like 10 points per game that season? It was yeah. like 22 to 12 or something. Yeah, like, it, it was stark how much he had lost a step. They luckily, Mark Workentin had this deal on the side with uh, Joe Dumars to get uh, to trade Allen Iverson for this, this big package that ended up on Chauncey Billups and a couple others. And uh, um, it was, uh, who else was that? Oh, Antonio McDice was in that trade. And then he wanted, he wanted to buy out. Son of a. (laughs) Jeff, the old man takes coming back to life right now. If they had, if they had McDice that year, they would have won the freaking title. But anyway, um, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap looks to me almost like Allen Iverson did when he came back in 2008. Those first three games, he was slow. Uh, It was pretty clear that he didn't have, he lost not only a step, but a step and a half. And Millsap looks, everything's labored. Mm -hmm. Now, there are various people who will probably point to Gary Harris not being out there as a reason for the defensive synergy not working. I think a lot of it has to do with Paul Millsap has lost a step. And, and I that, also think he uh, can't that, play free safety in the, against this team. He well, can't he can. be that guy. Well, and, he, and I think, I think when what I've seen is that he can't anchor a defense anymore. I mean, I think he can do it in the, to. 
I think he can do it in particular matchups. I was talking to Ryan Blackburn of Denver Stiffs about this. I think if you put him in a Clippers matchup, a lot of this narrative shifts. That doesn't change what he has done negatively in this series. But I do think that we need some more data before burying Paul Millsap's career. I think he still has some left to fill this role. But this is the thing. His tweener mold that he always was able to kind of transcend over. And he was always quick enough for the perimeter guys and strong enough for the big men down low. He is no longer strong enough for the Jazz big man down low, and he is not quick enough to get out to the shooters of the Jazz. Also, Quinn Snyder deserves endless credit for this. They relocate the weak side shooter every time Paul Millsap is defending in the corner. They make him take the extra step and the extra (coughs) second to think every single time he is the one on that side of the court. So while yes, Paul Millsap has been a dramatic negative, when I did the Game 2 podcast with Matt Moore, I joked to start the podcast that Michael Porter Jr. has had more defensive impact than Paul Millsap has. And it's not necessarily a joke at this point, but I do think that that could shift in a series against the Clippers when Marcus Morris is who you're covering, or you put him on Patrick Beverly and let him roam. That kind of thing works more. But in this series, man, like you got to get him out of the starting lineup. He cannot continue to start at this point. You need Jeremy Grant in form, and it cannot be for Michael Porter Jr. It has to be Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic, in my opinion. Well, I and when I saw the substitution for Michael Porter Jr. in the third quarter for Jeremy Grant, I was like, that's the wrong, that is the right sub and the wrong substitution. And it yep. was, it was like, what are you, why? And I think how he was thinking that the defense, quote unquote, aspect of it. But here's the, here's the problem. That's just doing nothing to improve your defense. That's, and you're, yeah, that's the other thing. When you yeah. put your defensive lineup out and it has 127 defensive rating, which it does, by the way, then you're not <laughs> going to win shit. Like, I don't know what you think you're doing here. Well, you can't fight fire with fire when the fire is just growing. That well, doesn't they, make any sense. And it's like the, the problem with the Nuggets defense is their scheme has been exposed, and it doesn't matter who's out there. Uh, yeah. they, they're just going to have to do, to go back to zone. And I, honestly, yeah. I, I know zone I know, and drop. Yeah, I know Malone hates that, but he's they're going to have to do that because the, their their base defense has been exposed. They know uh, the the Jazz know exactly how to. Doesn't matter who's out there. Doesn't know exactly how to attack it. I mean, it doesn't matter who you put out there. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like this. I, I think the Nuggets are at the point in game four where they have to do something drastic. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. And the drastic thing would be starting Jeremy Grant and going zone, as, as far as I'm concerned, because they, they're, they're out of options at this point. I don't know if you can go zone as much, though, because Denver keeps falling asleep everywhere you look on defense. So, like, sure, you can go zone until all of a sudden Donovan Mitchell's in the middle of the paint with no one even realizing he's there. Yeah. The other thing, too, that I think I want to give Utah a little bit more credit on is Denver has thrown a shit ton of defensive looks at the Jazz. They've hedged, they've switched, they've dropped, they've blitzed, they've doubled. Like, at what point is it Donovan Mitchell is just too good for your defense? Like that has really been a big part of this is Donovan Mitchell draws the double, kicks it to Joe Ingles, who has Michael Porter Jr. on him. Rudy Gobert just screens him off the screen, and you're playing two-on-one again with two guys on Donovan Mitchell and two shooters open. Like Denver doesn't have alterations to make when it comes to that, which is why I think that they're just going to go back to drop. If Donovan Mitchell can score 57 and they win and he doesn't get tired by game seven, cool. That happens. You got to live with it. I think that's well, all the, they really have left. The drop coverage co- uh, helps against uh, Gobert specifically. That's one of the reasons they were yeah. doing that in game one. And, they, and you just Gobert, make Mitchell do everything by dropping. And Gobert that's had a had a lousy game one. So obviously yeah. that is that is a part of the key. They got to help Nikola out there. 
Um, sometimes, coming back to Jokic, sometimes he pouts when he doesn't like what's going on. And that has may, happened a lot. It maybe there's a little bit of that going on. I think sometimes he wants certain things to happen and they don't happen and he gets pouty, which once again, I'm not making an excuse for him. That's bad. Um, That's bad. But I think there is, there's that element going on there, but you're coming back to Millsap for a second. I, he just, I, I, he's, I don't want to bury him, but at the same time, you, there's just things you see. And this has been going on far too far longer than the Utah series. And you just kind of see it. And, and, and sometimes it just, it, 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 it comes into your brain before you're actually really thinking about, you think about it, yeah. you like, you know, and I think a lot of it, you know, Malone's reluctance to, uh, to, to bench Millsap is that he has tons of respect for him as a veteran. Um, if I'm Millsap in that situation, I come to him and say, you're going to have to put me, have me coming off the bench or something like that, because uh, the Nuggets are starting at a deficit in the, in the first quarter. And it's just, it's not going to, it can't continue that way. It just can't continue that way. And it's the only obvious substitution to make. What's he going to put in PJ Dozier for uh, uh, like at the three spot then? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. It, it, what do you, what can you do at this point? Good. Start bowl, bowl. That's not going to happen. You no. know, uh, put Mason Plumley in the starting lineup with Nicola. Uh, that's not going to happen. That might happen. <laughs> this is Malone. We're talking about. Let's not pretend like that might not happen. Let us, let's not. Okay. You want to know something terrifying? Nuggets Ben shooting it with Mason Plumley and Michael Porter Jr. Has a defensive rating of 97. Oh, so. If you want to have a conversation about fixing rebounding and fixing defense, like Malone is very, very, very keyed in on, Mason Plumley might be a decision he makes. I thought that they were going to play Plumley and Jokic together last game. Then everything fell to pieces in the first quarter, so maybe that didn't get a chance to get there, but that was always a thought I had. I guarantee you something. If Mason Plumley's in the starting lineup, Michael Porter Jr. will not be. Mm-hmm. Which is disastrous decision-making because yeah. you need a shooting out there with those two yeah. bigs. It will be if, – if he decides to put Mason Plumley in there, who knows what he's going to do? Because his pregame yeah. comments yesterday about, about executing before uh, making any adjustments was concerning enough. But we will get to that in a second <laughs> uh, as I uh, give you this uh, public service announcement um, about DraftKings. And, you know – I've been reading about DraftKings for a while now on uh, this podcast. And uh, gambling's been legal in Colorado since May 1st. And uh, I think a lot of people just aren't really, and from what I've been able to talk to, they're not aware that you can actually bet on sports. I don't think it's filtered through the public because we've had bigger things to worry about, right? So <clears throat> DraftKings has a bunch of uh, great offers and great specials. Um, to kind of give you right now. Hey, it's Jeff Morton telling you uh, that there are 100 million reasons why you should listen up. DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy sports, is celebrating uh, the return of sports by giving up, away up to $100 million in prizes to all their customers, including one lucky winner who will take home a $1 million cash prize. To claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways, all you have to do is this. Download the app and sign up uh, using the promo code MHS. Then enter DraftKings Free Football Survivor Pool. 
Yes, it really is. Uh, yeah, that easy to claim your up to your share of up to one hundred million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running to win one hundred million dollar cash prize. One, excuse me, a yeah, one hundred million. What am I doing? One million dollar cash prize. Well, I'm just. I was say, can I have the extra ninety nine million that exists in yeah. that ad read because one I could million. use it. One million dollar cash prize. <laughs> one million. Let me emphasize this. One million, not one hundred. One million. Okay. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code MHS to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for $1 million cash prize. That's promo code MHS to get your share of $100 million in, in prizes. Only at DraftKings. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. All right. What would you do with a million dollars, Jeffrey? Um, well, I should ask a, you which a, guitar good, you would buy. I was saying, why not? Yeah, no, actually, there's some, there's some guitars that I would like. But actually, I mean, I, it's weird because I see people who, who win the lottery, you know, they have all this money, and – the first thing they do is get a gigantic house. And my only thought is, how could you possibly live in that much house? Well, usually you do the Will Barton thing where you have like 80 of your buddies hang out with you and live there. Well, true. I mean, if I, if I had 80 buddies, that's probably what I would do. <laughs> uh, I, only... I think you need a million dollars to have 80 buddies. <laughs> well, true. And they would come to you. So... Yes, they would. <laughs> and they'd have all kinds of investments opportunities for you as well. So... Look, man, I got this. I got this thing, man. I got I got my gig going, and I want you to. You got to get in on this, man. You got to get in on this. And it's like some sort of like like floor wax or something like that. My like, favorite no, thing is when you start on these rants and you don't change your tone, so everyone thinks that you're saying something like actually like prominent to the conversation. It's actually just you being sarcastic as shit. I love yes, it. It's I always there. I, my base personality is sarcasm. Yes, um, <laughs> to get along. Yes. Okay, we got to talk about Michael Malone now. Obviously. Obviously, uh, you look a little, and I, I, can't, I can't say kindly, but you uh, are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt more than yes. I, I have been the last couple of years. Uh, people get on me for being critical of, of the guy they call Moach, which I have no idea where that came from. I don't either, if it makes me feel any better. So they have like, talk about stonks and shit. Like, I'm so confused, man. I'm like 100 years old stonks now. Stonks and Moach. And, and someone told me, he said, well, maybe it came from Tim Connolly. Connolly calls him Mo. Yeah. He so I think it's him. Coach Mo, Moach. Is that what they're trying to do here? Yeah, I don't that, know. That must be it. I mean, I know Alec Gwynn reads, uh, listens to this uh, podcast, so you'll explain it to me. He Alec Gwynn, favorite of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. It's my guy. Uh, so uh, Alec, uh, tweet at me and explain to me the most thing. Um, <laughs> but he – he, I, I, I was on edge as soon as I heard his pregame comments about executing what they're doing before making any adjustments. That was, I, I've never heard a coach do that prior to a game like that. It was, it was troubling because it was like, almost like I don't want to do anything kind of, kind of deal. Maybe he, genuinely thinks that the nuggets just need to execute i think it's been pretty much laid bare that what they're doing is not working but maybe he thought well you know after two games i'll just give it another day which i understand 
But the way he phrased that was really troubling to me. I did not like the, well, they just got to do what I tell them to do, which George Carl did that all the time. And the reason George did that was to inoculate himself to any sort of post-game criticism. Yes. That's exactly what the way George would do that. And I hate that kind of thing. And so maybe it's PTSD from George Carl, but I, I, I just like, I didn't like that approach to it. And then now they're, they lost by 37 points. And it's like, yeah. Um, let me be the contrarian here. Let me, let me flip this around because right. I, I think that what you're saying might have validity. It's not how I took it personally. Yeah. I think Malone is at his wit's end. I think he has been begging this team for now, what, 11 months to just please try and develop one good habit. Just please like give a little bit of effort in these games where you can at least like improve yourself. Like every single time they lose, that has been a part of this post-game presser. So at what point? when all of the words that you keep saying fall on deaf ears, which in my opinion, Malone is an inspiring head coach. That is not on him. Malone is a very, very good coach in terms of player conversations and the relationships he develops with his guys. So I'm not putting that on Malone. If you are talking to a brick wall and the brick wall never responds because it's a fucking brick wall, how do you not get frustrated? How do you not come into this post-game press conference being like, listen, we've hedged. We've dropped, we've switched, we've blitzed, and nothing's working because they're not executing. And I can't make them execute. I'm giving them all these different ways to play, and they're still not doing it. So from that perspective, I don't know what else Malone is supposed to do. And that's kind of where I come to it. It's like when people would say, fire him, go get someone else. Who? Who are you going to get? So from my point of view, what is Malone supposed to do? Because I think he's at his wit's end, and nothing's working because his players aren't executing. Well, that. If, if what you're saying is true, which I, I, I don't know, but if, they, if what you're saying is true, that is also very troubling. Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and it comes back to the player's indictment as well. And obviously, let's face it, if you're a coach and you're not maybe reaching your best player, mm-hmm. uh, the coach gets fired. And, and again, like, I, and, but and I agree with that. I don't yeah. think that that makes it Malone's fault. Yeah. that's the interesting kind of dynamic at play here, in my opinion. Well, especially this is the NBA. I'm not saying, by the way, anyone who's listening to this, no, I am not saying I'm. I'm not advocating Malone to be fired, nor am I saying he will be. I'm just saying. I agree. At this point, at this point, someone's not listening to him, and it's a pretty powerful guy. Hmm. And, and it's not Jamal Murray. <laughs> and it's not Jamal Murray. And But we, as we've said, and I, I like Jamal. But the, here's something I kind of want to throw out there with the, in addition to the Malone conversation is that it is very clear to me that the introduction of Jamal to the dynamic between Jokic and MPJ completely disrupted whatever they had going and it's not murray's fault it's just the 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 other variable porter and and uh and Jokic were just were just had a thing going and jamal comes in and they just they they look that those two look terrible and i think that's just the introduction of the jamal variable i had nothing to do with him personally it just it it disrupted the chemistry I know for a fact, and he said it repeatedly, that Jokic really likes playing with MPJ. 
on the offensive end. I reported um, in training camp that he took yeah. an interest in him because he liked playing with him so much. Like, this has yeah. been happening for a year. Yeah. And that's when they had a, and I'm doing air quotes, competition for the small forward plot spot, which was the <laughs> biggest farce I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but anyway. So funny, though. So funny. <laughs> um, that's, that's some, at, at this point, that's ancient history because that's almost a year ago. Um, they obviously, they obviously had something going and then it's not working. That's not Jamal's fault. It is just a thing that happened. How do you get that um, back? How do you get that back? I'm going to take a different route. This is Jamal's fault. <laughs> I'm here. Okay, you want to, here's a stat. I need to go back and relook this up because I haven't since game one. In the last seeding game and game one, so in Jamal's time in the seeding game through game one of the playoffs, guess how many times he passed to Michael Porter Jr.? Total uh, passes. Total. Two? Three. Three. Ah. I'm sorry. He's not choosing to look his direction. And that has to change. You can't, and I, and I don't think this is a Jamal Murray hates Michael Porter Jr. I think that it's just way too much emphasis on Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game. And they're just going to the comfortable read out of it, which has not been Michael Porter Jr. Because he's a new addition to this starting lineup. But that cannot happen. The only way Denver's offense works with Torrey Craig starting is if Michael Porter Jr. is hitting threes. It's as simple as that for me. Like they need to warp this court more. They are just collapsing the paint. Even Nikola Jokic did it after the game last night or yesterday, last night. Um, he straight up said, he was like, they're not letting me pass anywhere. Like they're just falling into the paint. And when that happens, you have to stretch the court. You don't start Jeremy Grant for Michael Porter. You start him for Paul Millsap. So I think that this Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., whatever it is, I don't know. We're not around anymore, so we don't get to see their relationship and how they work together on the, you know, when they're on like the bench together and things like that. We don't know, but when there is a clear statistical indifference that Jamal Murray shows to Michael Porter Jr., that is wildly concerning to me. Well, it's interesting because I, I don't think Jamal. Actually, I think Jamal likes MPJ a lot, but I think he does his thing and he's used to it, and and it's a, it's a thing between him and Jokic. I, I'd be well, even Jokic has, I mean, was, what was interesting at the end of game one was that a lot of it was Jamal just doing whatever he was doing, yeah. right? Which is fine because he was hot. I he was great in game one. He's I am great. fully in support of that, right? Um, but there was, there, there's, there was certain parts where it was just like Jamal's doing what Jamal's going to do. Then none of it worked together. They work best when Jokic is directing everything. And they also work best when they play fast. A lot of them playing slow has a lot to do with Jamal. Yeah. Uh, walking the ball up the court really slowly. And then uh, struggling to turn a corner. He can't just like get into an offensive set. He doesn't have that yeah. kind of explosion. So you have yeah. another five seconds and of you, that. You know how you pick up the speed? You have, because at least, you know, people blame Jokic for the slow pace. That's not true. Jokic likes to play fast. He wants to. loves to play. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my friend Matt Moore here. He always points to Jokic as why the, why the Nuggets uh, play slowly. That's never been true. Jokic loves to play fast. Loves it. He will, that's why he loves those outlet passes like they're like a football pass. That's, he wants to get that ball. Even if he is trailing, he wants to get the ball up to the front court. He's not Mr. Slow it down, gets very slowly into a set set a very slow dribble handoff, set a very tediously slow pick and roll that doesn't work. 
Um, and then they just, it becomes, because the Nuggets, let's face it, have dribble handoff and cutting and pick and roll. That's basically their, their, the main meat and potatoes of there. And it's all centered around Jokic. When Jamal has the ball all the time, the dynamic is dribble handoff, attempt to pick and roll. Yeah. And then Jamal. They just reverse it back and forth until they yeah. can pretend like they have a better look. And Jamal can do it, but, you know. But can he? Like, okay, this is my thing with Jamal is that he has shown a lot of things that he needs to improve on. And he has dramatically, in my opinion, improved on those things. It still hasn't been enough. And that's concerning. And we'll see how that plays out long term. But what I'm curious about now is if it's clearly not working. Royce Royce O'Neal has swallowed Jamal Murray whole for two games now. If Malone wants to adjust, the only adjustment he can make is finding more room for Porter. That is the only offensive adjustment, in my opinion, you can make. And the way that you can do that is going back to how you used to play offense. Have Jamal Murray set a screen on Porter's guy in the corner, get him flashed into the middle of the lane, let Jamal pop to three, pull these defenders from each other finally, and create some passing lanes. This is where I will get on Michael Malone. They're not trying to run anything creative offensively anymore that's not working so they're just falling back to the bread and butter and they become entirely predictable and that is something you cannot do in the postseason because there's these teams are too smart like Quinn Snyder is a genius he can get any of this on his own advantage if you're going to make it that predictable and the Nuggets have the players the versatility and the chemistry to make this work they've played together plenty long enough this is where chemistry does help you you know how to operate with your guys when you're in this instinctual offensive flow they just haven't even remotely tried to get there and that again is just so concerning for me and I think the only way you do that is by stopping this two-man game until the sun dies shit because it's not working you just can't do that over and over again well especially this is that it's exactly what the Nuggets ran for a series and a half last year and it worked for them but then there's an expiration date on that kind of uh, uh, I, I can't even say consistency but uh, we don't have anything else kind of offense, which was true. Uh, uh, Will was injured and he was not playing well. They couldn't play in that often. Mason Plumley was unplayable in the playoffs last yeah. year. He's been much better. And so is Monte, year. to be fair. Like, they didn't yeah. have a bench sheet to rely on what to do right now. Yep. But that now, does not give Malone the right to just completely stay predictable. He has to find a way to diversify this offense, and he has the players and the continuity to do it. And that's extremely frustrating. You know, Chris Finch isn't here anymore. Um, uh, I know. Oh, God. Uh, a whole other can of worms, my yes, friend. Yes, there is. But I'm at the point now where I'm like, look, the, the Nuggets have to do something dramatic. So let's, let's kind of bring the horse into the stall here and talk about what they can do that will positively affect the rest of this series. Once again, let me emphasize, even though as I, this has likely skewed negative, the, uh, the Nuggets are only down 2-1. This, uh, they win the next game, is 2-2, and we're right as rain. So what can the Nuggets do uh, fundamentally to change their traje- trajectory? The first thing you have to do is start Jeremy Grant for Paul Millsap. You can't have somebody who's a negative offensively and a negative defensively in your starting unit just because you respect him. You can't. It's just not working. And also adding Jeremy Grant, who has been a very versatile offensive player in the playoffs and the seeding games. He's expanded his game quite a bit. Having him on the floor with Michael Porter Jr. just gives the Nuggets offense so many more weapons. And then they can get into that rhythm that we've talked about. The Nuggets team as a whole is a domino effect. 
they need that first domino to fall to get them going. And then there are so many more after it. The overall ceiling of this team is really it's really incredible. They have a seriously high ceiling as a group. There's a reason they've been a top 10 defensive unit the past two years. It's not sustainable. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's sustainable, but they have the capability at times. So they need to find a way to get that initial domino to fall. They have not been able to do that in the past two games. They got sucker punched by Utah and both of them and were completely unable to recover. So that's what they need to change, in my opinion. And I think that starts with getting Michael Porter Jr. good looks from three to open up the court. It also starts with Jokic giving any shit at all. That is just a prerequisite. They need a bare minimum level of effort before any of this matters. And you start Jeremy Grant because you need the three-point shooting. You need his ability to attack closeouts. And to be fair, you can use him a lot more defensively. He can take one step from the dunker spot and get to the rim or the three-point line. Paul Millsap just can't do that. So that's really as simple as it gets. I know it seems overly simplistic for a playoff series between two divisional opponents, but that's kind of as simple as it is. Like the Nuggets just need to do what works and they need to actually buy into it because they're just not doing that right now. I agree with uh, much of what you just said. I, my, I would get a little more radical. Um, How radical are you thinking? I would bench Tory Craig. Oh, I don't blame you on that one, by the way. I agree with because that. Because he is such a vacuum of suck on offense that it is now it, it i don't think malone sees it this way but when he is wide open they and Jokic passes to him and tory bricks a wide open three it just sucks the energy out of the out of Jokic's the body language it's like when he throws that yes. full court pass and threw his arms into the air like it's like a real life symbolism of that yes and tory needs to be in a defense defense specific lineup right one that's not necessarily going to get shooting back baskets, but can get some leak outs and can get some, some scores. Um, he needs to be in a lineup like that. Uh, quite frankly, yes, I understand the, uh, it worked last year for the Nuggets yeah. inserting Tory, but that was a completely different dynamic because Gary was here and uh, you they needed it because Will was just really not good last year. He was so in, injured. They had to do something. Inserting Tory changed the dynamic for the Spurs, which was a uh, slower team. And then it kept going on with the Blazers, and it really worked against uh, Dame Willard until it didn't work against C.J. McCollum in Game 7. Yeah. Um, but Tory is a good situational player because he's a tryhard. And I think those guys work in certain situations. I've always likened to like a specialist reliever in baseball. Yes, he's, he's good at a very specific thing. But the problem is Malone has been relying on Torrey Craig because he's, see, he sees Torrey Craig as, as a big, big D on his shirt for defense, right? Yeah. And that's what he sees. But what he should see is someone who is so – not good on offense. He has his one, he has occasional times where he'll hit some open threes. Uh, but I, by and large, he's not going to be doing that. I mean, they were sagging off of Tory Craig so far yesterday in that first quarter. It was depressing. They yeah. know that he can't shoot. What I would do is have a starting lineup of Jamal, PJ Dozier. Yes. MPJ, uh, Jeremy Grant, Jokic. 
I agree entirely. It's, it's a great decision. And it, it not only does it help you defensively more so than Tory, because the Jazz had done an incredible job of using Ingles to screen for Mitchell to force mm-hmm. Tory to switch off of him. Mm-hmm. When you have P.J. Dozier out there, you can switch that. You don't have to worry about it as much because you're not giving up what your main point of emphasis is. And then on the other side, you have another ball handler now. Like yeah. that can run an actual pick and roll with Nikola Jokic. It has the green light to do so. So I hadn't thought about that. I love that idea. Well, that's it. I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm like, why is Tori out there? I, I think I think he thinks he's he substitutes Tori for 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 Gary. He thinks yeah. they're interchangeable and they're they're not the same player. And uh, because Gary, for all of his issues this year, can mm-hmm. play offense. He can cut to the basket. He can do all these mm-hmm. things. Tori is not this. He's six foot eight, and he is you know a different body type. It's not the same player. Um, I would do that, and then I would uh, bring Millsap as the first substitution off the bench uh, for a different look, and then I would bring in the defensive lineup and do all that stuff. But the most important thing I would do is speed up the fucking game. I swear to fucking God, this team doesn't – I think it's Malone's doesn't understand personally that this team – gets its confidence for defense from its offense and he and it fundamentally it goes against everything that he thinks about that he should they as i said yesterday you can't defend your way out of a poor offensive performance you can stop the team what it can do is make the game closer but it's not going to make the offensive players more competent yeah. <laughs> it's just going to just bring it'll be bring it'll stay down, right where you're at it'll bring down that 37 point margin to i don't know 15 27 <laughs> yeah like <laughs> it'll it'll bring it'll have it it'll have it but if you yeah. if you can't score and the nuggets couldn't score yesterday if you can't score you got to do something else and they have to play looser and faster and to give themselves a chance one other thing in, in this vein of what they have to do to readjust and fix this, they need to be more physical yeah. on defense, on offense. They were – okay, you want to hear a crazy stat? They were 9 of 11 from the free throw line in the entire game. Five – oh, no, sorry, six of those free throws came in garbage time in the fourth quarter from P.J. Dozier and Bulbul. So wow. that's five free throws in the actual meat of the game. Denver had no aggressiveness, zero. And when it comes to their defense, even when they hedged out, they weren't hedging aggressively. When they were rotating back to Rudy Gobert slipping, they were not doing it with any kind of assertiveness. This comes back to the Nuggets don't give a shit right now. And that's, again, where it manifests itself in another, in, in another spot on the floor. When you're just choosing to be two steps late, that's choosing to be two steps late. There's no reason the Nuggets' effort should not be there. If you're a step late because you went the wrong direction, that's one thing. This is a Nuggets team who's just locked in concrete. And I don't know what is going to change that. Again, this is where I come back to the, like, why I'm so low on this Nuggets team going forward in this series with the understanding they had the potential. But there's no coming back from quitting like this. And that's one thing that I, I don't see them overcoming that hurdle. That's going to be hard. And I, I, I think they can do it because they have the talent. I think mm-hmm. they can do it, but it's going to, even if the Nuggets prevail in this series, it's going to, going to screw them and they play the, the the clippers and i'll tell you what my biggest upset and this is the old school basketball fan in me but i swear i i no one taking a giving a hard pick to royce o'neill 
or doing anything like that after he blew a fucking kiss to Nikola Jokic after he flew by him on that three <laughs> told me all I need to know. That told me everything I need to know because this team, for whatever reason, doesn't have it in them to do that. To me, that's just sticking up for your teammates. They get punked. That's what's happened. They have been punked in this. They have been mugged and willingly and happily gave away their wallet. That's literally how this feels right now. And this is something that Matt Moore, I thought, was 100% spot on for. Will Barton called this team soft after they lost the Clippers by like 24 in the regular season. He was right. And he's not there to tell them that they're being soft. And they need somebody. This is where the Isaiah Thomas loss, which is hysterical to say at this juncture, actually hurts the Nuggets. Like, they need somebody who has some edge. Somebody who will punch back. This is a team who looks like they have no business being in the playoffs. The Phoenix Suns have played with twice as much effort as Denver did, and they they went undefeated and still didn't make the playoffs. So, like, what are we doing here? Like they don't, they don't deserve to be here playing like this. Full stop. Oh, I tell you, I I was so disappointed. Like when someone didn't pop Royce O'Neal in that first quarter, it yeah. Just, That's where you said a high screen, get those elbows up, kind of thing. Like you it, have to make them feel you after something like that. Set an Andrew Bogut style screen where it's like mostly dirty. Maga get, Bogut Jr. Yeah, I hate that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, just get uh, get him. And he hates Jokic. There's a oh, that's hates a, Jokic. That's a that is a person. I forgot about thing. that beef. That was the most random beef in NBA history. It was like second year Jokic and Marching Gortat like hated each other. I think it's because uh, uh, he's Australian, but his family is uh, from the east, from the Eastern Europe, East, somewhere Eastern in Europe. former Yugoslavia. And I think there's some like his history yeah. there. But there, uh, there is a there is a element of you didn't stand up for your best player kind of thing. I don't expect Jokic to go out there and throw an elbow in the face of Royce O'Neal. I expected someone else to. Yeah. And I mean, no one did it. Chris Stapps, Prisingas, who might be one of the softest people I've ever seen, he walked up as soon as someone just pulled on Luca's arm too much and got thrown for it. Whether or not it's the right decision is irrelevant for me. You have to stand up for your guys. That You have to. You don't go so far as to get tossed, but you have to be able to get out there and be like, no, no, this is not how this works. They need some of that like offensive lineman vibe when someone hits a quarterback late. Like They need something of an energy, an emotional response that that shows that they care. Like, this is the thing. I, for so long, you know, I've been like anti-fans. Like, Nuggets fans and I usually just don't get along. And it is what it is. That's fine. They were right when they said last night or yesterday that Nuggets fans cared more about that loss than the Nuggets did. And that's how it felt. And again, it comes back to this. It comes back to the Nuggets got punked, did nothing about it, folded in the first half, and just let a game go in a tied playoff series against a team that they know well. Well, and here's the thing. Utah knew they wouldn't do anything about it, which yep. is the maybe the moral easiest way to the, bully somebody. Moral of the story, and I'm looking up and down that roster. Maybe other than Mason Plumley, I don't see anyone out there who's going to get with a sharp elbow. You're going to show us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't see anyone. Now, Paul Millsap's not going to do it. You know, there's just not. Uh, uh, there's not that person on the roster that's going to take that and say, okay, we're, you're not going to fuck with us anymore. Which is really – so they want to out-talent them. So yeah. – but in the playoffs, 
the great equalizer is physicality and um, and the three point line. An edge. Yep, and the three point line, and and the Nuggets have just like it, it is failed, disconcerting on that. And I said on Twitter uh, after game two, they need a Kenyon Martin on this roster. Yeah, because Kenyon Martin 100%. shoved Dirk Nowitzki into the first row of Pepsi Center. He didn't stop Dirk. In fact, Dirk had a great series, but he set the tone for the series yeah. immediately. George Carl, for all his faults, of which there are many, um, knew that you needed guys like that on the roster to uh, basically go out there and say, we're not going to be fucked with. And yeah. the Nuggets, I don't know of a single guy on that roster is going to do that. And Will Barton has been their only enforcer kind of guy, where he's and, like, and listen, we're not going to play this shit. And Will's just more of a locker room guy, though. And, and see, that's the thing. They, he does it on the court, too, though. I disagree yeah. with that. I see Will Barton, like, barking at Nicola when he's not playing right. I see Will Barton getting in Michael Porter's ear and telling him what he missed. Like, yeah. Will Barton is one of the most nuanced and understanding people on this roster who also takes no shit. I mean, that dude's from East Baltimore. Like, he's been through way worse than anybody on an NBA court's going to do to him. Yeah. And he plays that way. There's an edge. There's, an, there's a level of intensity that just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's disappointing. And I wish, I think, I think with the, the, the defensive lineups that you and I, I assume you're not defensive, but the lineups that you and I put out there for starting, I think that will go a long way if they listen. Of course, they're not listening to this podcast. No. But uh, they would understand that they need to. And some of that on my lineup was emphasis on offense because they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to look at that 135 they scored in game one and think, well, well no, we've got to do that again. No, you can't duplicate Jamal going off like a firecracker in the fourth quarter in overtime. You can't du- duplicate that. Just like the, the Utah Jazz knew they couldn't duplicate uh, Donovan Mitchell going for 57. It's, yep. just, it's just, just basic facts. And the Nuggets need to adjust something, and then they will get confidence for their defense from their offense and hopefully – this kind of turns things around in game four. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a ton of hope, but I'm hoping. Yeah. There could be a a momentum swing. Denver is like one good quarter from just being like, Oh, we are good at this. And then it all can start rolling. Like that's how quickly things change in basketball because there are so few players on a court, like one dramatic shift in a five minute period can change everything about a series. So this is not out of the question. It's just when a team has quit two games in a row, you tend to not have as much faith in that reality. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like you said, they're trying to out talent them. And when you try to just pretend like you're just better and you don't play that way, you're going to get pumped. You're going to lose. Yeah. And that's where they're at right now. But I do believe that they can absolutely still win this series. Like, they can win it in six games. Like, they could just run the table from here mm-hmm. on out. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But at games. Same, that wouldn't surprise me. They, they beat them three straight times in the regular season. Like, this is not like a wild thought process, but they just haven't shown anything that would show that the direction of the, of the momentum is swinging that direction. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, TJ, thank you for joining me on uh, the, your debut on uh, CSG. <laughs> I love talking hoops with you. After, after how many, many years. Thank you for a pandemic to, uh, you know, have To Zoom force us available. to learn how technology works. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because otherwise, this never would have happened. And I, and I would have been saying, well, when the pandemic's over, I'll have you on. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man, I'll have you on my show very, very soon as well. So it was a pleasure and stay safe, Jeff. Thanks, man.